Merry Christmas. That was so weak. That was amazing. You guys are amazing. How'd you do that? Merry Christmas. Man, now you sound like Santa Claus. There you go. Hey, um, it is really good to be here with you this morning. So excited to celebrate Christmas with you guys. I love you. I don't want it to be distracting, so I'm just going to tell you right off the back, I have poison ivy on my face. And uh, so I, it didn't shave in a little while here. I'm a little scruffy. Don't let that distract you. The boys and I were blowing the leaves off the lawn, blew them into the woods, had a big wrestling match. They were all rubbing leaves in my face. I was like, how did they not get poison ivy until last night when Colton's like, my belly itches. And we lift up his shirt. They just went Old Testament on you. Yeah. <laughs> Dishonor your father and guess what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so anyway, um, please excuse my scruffy face right now. Join me in prayer. God, we're so excited uh, right now for um, the fact that this Advent, this Christmas, this uh, time of year, right here and right now, it belongs to you. This is your day. It is not not ours. And um, this is the day where we celebrate your, your birth. This is the day where we remember that uh, we need more than just ourselves. We also need you. We uh, don't live by ourselves. We can't live outside of you, that light and life only exist because of you, and all things come from you. So this series of Advent, Lighten Up, God, we just ask that Jesus today, you would allow us to rest easy. As our brother Eric said earlier, the burden is light, the yoke is easy, You bring rest for our souls. We ask that Jesus, your light, would shine upon us today in the name of Jesus. Amen. I left something over here I need. So, um, hope is the topic today. Hope is a really interesting thing in the scripture because when it comes to entering into a relationship with God, We are told in Ephesians that it is grace that saves us. We are saved by grace. And that's accessed through faith, which is not of of ourselves, but it's of God. When it comes to entering into a relationship with God, there's very little across the pages of Scripture that says that hope is what's necessary in order to enter into a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, it's because of a relationship with God that hope's actually available. So hope isn't part of the equation as far as us entering into a relationship with God. Our salvation is not based on hope. It's the other way around. And once we have a relationship with God, then God comes in and produces all sorts of things in our life. And the primary things that he produces are found in Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit. And there's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Not, the word hope is not mentioned in there. You ever notice that? Hope is not mentioned in the fruits of the Spirit. It's not mentioned in how we get into a relationship with God. Like faith isn't mentioned in the fruits of the Spirit, or grace isn't mentioned in the fruits of the Spirit, but that's mentioned in how we get into a relationship with God. Once we're in a relationship with God and the Spirit indwells us, then he produces all these fruits. Hope is in neither of those categories. It's not neither of them, but it's still a huge heavy hitter in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in one of the most important chapters of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, At the end of the love chapter, and we know love is the big one, right? That's always the big one. But at the end of the love chapter, it says these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. 
Faith gets us into a relationship with God. And as we abide deeply in a relationship with God, love is produced. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the ultimate goal. That's where we get to because of a relationship with God. Faith is accessing and believing what brings us into a relationship with God. And sandwiched in the middle of that is this word. Four-letter word, very important one, isn't used quite as much as many of the other words, and yet a deeply important word. It holds faith and love together. It brings them together. This word is hope. Hope. What's hope all about? Well, hope is obviously looking forward to something that hasn't yet been accomplished, right? That's hope. It's what I'm anticipating, what I'm looking forward to. It's no surprise, of course, that our culture probably doesn't use hope as a a primary leading word. I mean, it's become cliche at this point that our society is a fast food society, a a McDonald's society, or, you know, instant gratification. That's become a cliche depiction of our society, that we want things and we want them now and we try to be satisfied as quick as possible. If hope is based on the fact that we're waiting for something that we don't yet have, then that would be something that maybe our culture would be a little bit unfamiliar with because we don't have to hope for very long. We're satisfied very quickly. But hope is waiting. It's waiting. It's waiting. And the Christmas story is full of people who were waiting. Hope, as defined by one Bible dictionary, is to trust in, to wait for, to look for, to desire something or someone, or to expect something. I was thinking about who depicts hope in our society. If you go down to the, to the art museum, there used to be a guy standing at the top of the stairs. Now he's down at the bottom of the stairs. The statue there. Anybody know who that is? Rocky Balboa. You know who Rocky Balboa is? He's the guy who every time he gets knocked down, what does he do? He gets back up. He's not defined by being a great fighter. He's being defined, he's defined by being a survivor, one who looks for another day, who steps back up and believes that it'll keep going. See, hope is this thing inside of us that can get us up in the morning, that can expect that things can get better. Hope can be the thing that can help pull someone out of debt. Hope can be the thing that the rags to riches stories are actually built on. Hope can be like an Abraham Lincoln story. Hope is one of those things that we lean into when we're having a difficulty with our spouse, and yet we remember why we got into this relationship in the first, in the first place. Hope is that thing where we know that we've forgiven this person a bunch of times, and yet we still believe that there's potential out there for something else. Hope is that thing that a mother or a father needs when they've been on their knees for years now and they still have a wayward child. And every night and every morning, they still get on their knees and they still pray, God, bring them home. It's hope. Hope, I think, is what is inside of Jesus as his fingernails dig into the ground and he pulls himself up the hill of Calvary because he believes in something else. That's hope. Hope, it says, there's more. There's more. I know this can be better. There's more. That's what hope is. But hope can really break our hearts, can it? You've heard the phrase, don't get your... Yeah. Why? Because hope can crush you. Hope misplaced. Hoping in the wrong thing. 
Listen to this verse. You probably may know this verse. This is Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Jen and I were talking to the boys about hope last night, and Jen asked them, what do you guys hope for? And uh, Colton said, well, I hope when I know that daddy has a night off and we can come home and play outside, I hope that the weather's going to be nice so we can play outside. And, uh, and then he said, and then I hope that on Christmas it snows. You know, well, you know, the hope when it comes to weather is like, well, you never know whether that one's going to get you or not. Sometimes we think that hope means that things are unsure. It doesn't have to. Evan said, I hope the Eagles win. Yeah. Said, wow. You know, you might want to think about where you place your bets, buddy. (laughs) Speaking of which, gambling is all about hope, isn't it? It's all about hope. But it's not a very good hope. The statistics aren't in your favor. Misplaced hope has a way of breaking our hearts, and it requires something of us. It requires this engaging of our emotions in a way that makes us vulnerable. And so when we hope that we are going to love someone and hope that we are loved in return, we are very, very vulnerable in that moment. You know, we put it out there. We have dreams and desires. And if we go after those dreams and desires and see them unfulfilled, that's devastating. And it really takes a huge toll on our lives if we hope, but then that hope is left unfulfilled. That can really hurt us. You ever prayed for someone to be healed and haven't seen it happen? Man, what does that do to you? It is a very, very difficult thing to figure out what to do in that moment when we've labored in prayer for someone and we haven't seen it happen. There was this guy... In the Christmas story, he's not the subject of the text today, um, but you remember him. He was in Luke chapter 1, and he kind of kicks off the Christmas story after 400 years of silence. You remember this guy, this old priest? And every two years, he goes down to Jerusalem, and he's been doing it his whole life, going down and serving in front of the temple, and they always cast lots to see who the person is who goes in and offers the incense to to the Lord. And you only get it once. If you get picked once, you never get to do it again. And this guy, his whole life has never been picked. And he keeps coming every two years, wanting to offer the sacrifice, never gets a chance. This guy was very accustomed to having his dreams dashed, wasn't he? His wife, Elizabeth, barren, never able to have a child. You know, years and years of disappointment. And then there was that one day, that legendary day, You know, the lots are cast, and he walks into the temple to offer the sacrifice. Finally gets to do the one job that's the special job. And he's standing in front of the altar there, burning the incense, offering a prayer for the redemption of Israel. And 400 years of silence are broken as an angel shows up above the altar and says, this prayer has been heard. This prayer that you pray that's been prayed many, many times has been heard. And today... Today, hope is fulfilled. Today, that child who you've wanted your wife to have, she's going to have it. Today, the 400 years of silence is broken. Today, Genesis 3.15, 
all the way back where it says that his heel will crush the serpent. Today, I am fulfilling the hope of the nations. Today, I am rising up the horn of salvation for my people. And in one single day, hopes beyond the wildest imaginations of Zechariah were fulfilled. Could he receive it? No, he couldn't. (laughs) You know, it was very difficult for Zechariah to receive. And he said, no way. (laughs) It's way too much for me to believe in one shot after years and years of seeing a lack of hope fulfilled. Because what happens is it ebbs away at our soul when we don't see the fulfillment. So God said, I'm going to give you nine months to think about it. And he allowed him to be quiet and just meditate on it for nine months, not talking. It's an amazing thing, this thing of Zechariah. When is it okay to risk hope? When is it worth it to stick our emotions, our heart out there and to believe in something, to hope for something, and to not expect ourselves to be devastated? See, the funny thing about hope is, of course, um, we're told in Romans that hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he has seen? We hope for what we have not seen. So if there's something that I know exists, if I see it, if I say I hope there's an altar, altar table, well, it's already there. You know, I don't hope for something that's already there. If I say I hope that this altar table will be filled with, with all sorts of evidence of us bringing offering to God, well, that's something that I might not see right now and that I expect something can happen. If I hope for something I've seen, it's not, it's not hope. And so the thing that is unseen that's out there is the thing that I'm risking. That I'm saying, I haven't been able to see this with my eyes, but I'm hoping to see the fulfillment of it. And because I haven't seen this with my eyes, I'm not assured of what's going on. I, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. I'm, tr- I'm kind of trusting in something that's way out there that I can't see. And this is what we know from the Bible, and this is what we know from life, this is what we know from experience, is that there's only one thing that we can actually count on, isn't there? Do you know what it is, the one thing that we can count on? The kind of hope that we need is truth. Truth is discovered through faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, remember this? Now, faith is the assurance of things. There it is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The essence of things not seen. When we are looking for something that we can't see with our eyes, we hold on to faith. We believe that God's word is truth and that God's words never return void, according to Isaiah 55. And that if God spoke it, I can count on him. I can count on his word. The only thing that I can absolutely put my hope in and know that that hope will always be fulfilled is God's word. When I trust in the words that God has spoken, I can say he is good for it and he will always fulfill his word and his word will never turn up void. It never will. It will always accomplish what it was set out to accomplish. And so faith, this is why 
Love is out here and faith is over here and hope is in the middle because I can hope in all sorts of things that don't require a whole lot of faith in me or it's misplaced faith, you know, but faith is the, is the assurance of things hoped for. It says I can be assured of the things that I am hoping for. Why? Because what I'm trusting in is not just something that I desire. It's something that he's spoken. And if it's something that God's spoken and I learn to put my hopes and my emotions based on the things that God's already spoken, then I can bet on the fact that in the long run, I will not be disappointed. I have to hold out hope in the word of God, that I have to lean into what it is that God said. Now, here's the problem with Zechariah. It was a little tricky, wasn't it? Because, you know, he knew that a Messiah was supposed to come. He knew, he knew all of that. But after years and years and years of not seeing that hope fulfilled, it's very easy to kind of slide into a little bit of hopelessness. And it starts to change our faith. It is, however, completely possible to have the kind of hope that endures, and that's where our text is today. And so uh, we actually should probably read our text today. Um, and so we're going to do that. It's in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is, of course, the huge Christmas story. Um, but typically in Luke chapter 2, we, go, we start in the beginning and we say, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus and we go on. But we're going to move forward and we're going to, this is after Jesus is born and it's a few days after he's born. And we get to verse 22 in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to have you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it, please. <clears throat> Zechariah was not the only person who had been waiting for a long time. We're about to read about two who you know of who had also been waiting. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 2. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That was a first fruits principle. You had to make a dedication ceremony of this child to the Lord, and you had to make a sacrifice on behalf of the child. That was the first fruits. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves. Sound familiar? (laughs) Two turtle doves. Or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting, catch that word, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he knew God had spoken through the Spirit into his heart that he would see Jesus. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and For a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts 
may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phonol, of the tribe of Asher. Asher means happy, by the way. She was advanced in years. She was old. (laughs) Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, I think there should be quotes like, yeah, like it was ironic. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were, say it with me, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. God bless this word. You can have a seat. I want us to notice this, that there was two things that held these two in common other than their age, okay? They were both up there in years. But this is what held Simeon and Anna together. Both of them had a unique ability to see Jesus. They knew that this baby was the Messiah. And there's one reason why they knew that this baby was the Messiah is because they were hoping for the consolation of Israel. They had their hopes based on the right thing. See, this is the whole thing, is that when our, our hope doesn't just mean what do we believe in an intellectual sense, it means what am I yearning for? What am I looking forward to? What am I hungry for? What is it that I'm waiting for? And Simeon and Anna gave their lives to waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, for the consolation of Israel. They sat there and they said, God said that he would redeem Israel. God said that he would bring consolation, that he would free us from our enemies. God said that he would bring a Messiah. Simeon was like, God told me I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. I know that was the Lord and I'm holding on to that promise. And Anna, she was like, I've read the scriptures. I've been praying day and night and I know what God's up to. I know he's bringing this Messiah. And so they were waiting and they were hungry and they were anticipating and they just spent their entire lives with one hope, one desire, much more than anything else that they looked forward to in their life. They were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so when it came, even in the form of this tiny little baby, just a seed of hope fulfilled, they saw it. They didn't need a star in the sky. They didn't need angels to break forth on a dark night and tell them glory to God in the highest. They didn't need any of that. All they needed was the presence of God to show up in the temple. And they knew it when they saw it in this little child because they had hope. Because they had hope. It's very easy to begin to lose hope when we don't see the fulfillment. Years and years and years of not seeing God fulfill something that he said he would do. It is very easy to begin to wane in our hope. And it happens subtly. It doesn't mean that we get to a place where we say, you know, I don't believe you anymore, God. Typically what happens instead is we say, I do believe you, God. You'll do this your way, however you want. But our emotions stop betting on God. What happens is it hurts too much to wait for God. Every morning when we get up, every night when we go to bed, every day when we see things unfulfilled, 
It hurts to wait on God and not see him fulfill it. So what we tend to do is we tend to start to look to other things for lesser forms of satisfaction. This is called coping. When we cope with a lack of hope. Okay? So when I don't see something fulfilled and I say, life should be this way, the kingdom of God should be this way, the Bible says it's supposed to be this way, but in the world that I live in, I just don't see that happening all the time. So I'm going to learn to be satisfied with just a little bit less than that and be okay with it. Jonah (laughs) 2.8. Jonah's in the belly of a fish. Literally, at this point, he's in the belly of a fish when he says it. And this is what he learns as he's in the belly of a fish. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. I want you to hear that again. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. On my prayer sheet, In the morning when I get up and read, I have a bunch of people written on there, a bunch of prayers written on the prayer sheet. That There's certain things I pray for every day. In my journal, I'm praying for whatever God leads me into. But I have one prayer sheet that I pray every day, and I have one verse written on it, and this is the verse. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to lesser gods, to lesser hopes, Those who learn to be satisfied with lesser things forsake the hope of the steadfast love of God. See, God's love, it's here, and it's amazing, and it's overwhelming, and it's all-consuming, and we can engage in the fullness of God's love. But in the moments when we can't see it, and when we can't feel it, it's very easy to allow ourselves to be satisfied with lesser things. And when we do, we numb our senses to the steadfast love of God. Because we don't have that acute hunger and thirst in our spirit that desires God so much that when he walks into the temple, we see him. Our hunger and our thirst for God, that hope that needs him, that desires him, it ebbs. It comes back because we learn to satisfy ourselves with lesser things. This is called coping coping. A couple weeks ago, it was about a month and a half ago actually, Josh Hostetter was giving me a lift home because I had to drop my car off at, a, at the shop. And we were in his car and we were in my driveway and uh, we were sitting there praying and he has some stuff going on and we're in the middle of praying and I'm just praying for him and praying, praying, praying. We started praying together and God just dropped this phrase on my, into my mind. And when he dropped it into my mind, I just started laughing. I started laughing out loud in the car, and then I started praying it. And we started praying it and kept praying it. And when we got done the prayer, I said, I'm preaching this, I'm preaching this phrase on the last Sunday before Christmas. So I know God just gave it to me, and I'm preaching it. And the phrase was just this. It was like, Tim, don't cope, hope. Don't cope, hope. Don't you cope with life when it's unsatisfying. Hope for what it's supposed to be. Do not be okay with a lesser life. Do not be satisfied with lesser gods. Do not pay regard to vain idols and forsake the hope of steadfast love. Be hungry for me. 
Be thirsty for me. Believe in me. Through the eyes of faith, have assurance of the things hoped for. Don't cope with life. Hope for better. I said, oh, yeah, it's God. That's God. Romans 5.4 says, Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Endurance produces character. When we wait on the Lord, he grows us. And as he grows us, he builds our sense of hope and anticipation. Luke 24, 21 is this bizarre verse that just fits in so well with Simeon and Anna. I want you to remember Simeon and Anna, who their whole lives, I mean, Anna has been, you know, she was married for seven years. She was like, yeah, that doesn't satisfy. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, she might have had a great relationship. But she loses her husband. And instead of going and finding another husband, she spends day and night praying and fasting in the temple, waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. And she waits and waits and waits. And this is what, that, that's what we're told she's waiting on and that Simeon's waiting on. Fast forward 30 years later, 33 years later, and Jesus, this little child, has grown, he's died on a Roman cross, he's been buried in a tomb, and he's resurrected. And now there are these guys who are walking down a road to Emmaus. And as they're walking down the road to Emmaus, they're telling Jesus, who's there with them, of course they don't have eyes to see Jesus, they're not assured of the things hoped for, they don't have the essence of things unseen, they've lost hope and they've lost faith, and we can understand why, they saw their, their precious Savior die on a cross. But this is their words, Luke twenty four twenty one. they say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We had believed. We had held on to the hope. We thought that he was the one. We were the ones who, like Anna and Simeon, were going around telling everyone, to those who had hoped for the consolation of Israel and redeemed Jerusalem, they told us this little baby, you know, and we had hoped that he was that one. We saw him move. We saw him preach with authority. We saw him heal people. We saw him bring Lazarus back from the dead. Everything about it seemed right. We read the scriptures. It all fit together. We had hoped, but then we saw him die. We saw him die with our own eyes, and we had hoped past tense, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And they gave up hope. And because of it, they couldn't see Jesus when he was right next to him. This beautiful thing the scriptures say about Abraham, it says, he hoped against hope. Ever hear that phrase? He has to bring his little child and he has to set him on an altar and he has to say, I believe in the resurrection from the dead. He, it actually tells us that he believes that if he killed his son, God was going to raise him from the dead. Because he hoped against hope. But these guys saw their Savior die and they gave up hope. Zechariah had lived a long life and hadn't seen his dreams fulfilled. And he started to ebb in hope so that when the truth came and was revealed, he couldn't receive it. He couldn't believe it. He wasn't in a place where he could actually comprehend and receive that this is true. But there was two people who were holding out hope. Anna and Simeon, who were waiting, who were still hungry, who still believed, who were still thirsty, who still got up every morning and said, I am going to believe that today could be the day. 
Ephesians 4 asks us what we're hoping for. It says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, this is the prayer of Paul to the church of Ephesus, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Faith gives us a relationship with God. Grace gives us a relationship with God, and we access it by faith. Over here is love. This is what it ultimately produces. In the middle is life. And life, there's a calling in life. And that calling is to hope. Our call is to hope. To hope. To be a beacon of hope. When all else is crumbling. When there's darkness around us. When it looks like there's no way it could happen anymore. To hold out hope. Colossians 1.27 tells us what the hope of the calling is. It says, To them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. If you're in the Sunday school class right now on spiritual gifts, we're talking about that mystery of God's manifold wisdom. And this is it right here. This is the hope, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It can be better. The church can be more. Our lives can be more. Revival Renewal, awakening, the kingdom of God. When he asked us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, was that a vain prayer or was that a real prayer? That's a real prayer that has real hope attached to it. That says, God, we believe you for more and we are going to anticipate it. If it hurts, we'll keep anticipating. We're going to keep believing. We are going to hope against hope. Hope begins with being reunited with God. Christmas is all about hope. It begins with being reunited with God. And once Jesus comes into our life, he can bring hope to every portion of our life. It doesn't matter if it's that child who's wayward. It doesn't matter if it's us deep in debt. It doesn't matter if it seems like it's that marriage that fell apart a long time ago. It doesn't matter what it is. There is not one part of our life that the hope of Jesus cannot bring light to. He can bring light to any corner and nook and cranny of our lives if we invite Christ in. This is why 1 Peter tells us, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who had more reason to give up hope than those two guys on the road to Emmaus? They're like, we saw it. We had our hearts bet on him. And then we saw him die. And they gave up hope. And they couldn't see him. He says, don't give up hope. Even at death, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. There is not one area of our life where this child born in a manger, invited into the manger of our hearts, cannot affect. There's not one area he cannot affect with hope. Not one. Listen, Galatians 5.5, I want to give you just a couple more verses here, okay? Galatians 5.5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Things can be made right. My heart can yearn for the right stuff. Instead of yearning for the wrong stuff, 
My heart can yearn for the right stuff. I can hope that God can transform me. I want deep abiding love. Psalm 5.2 or Psalm 33.18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. God can reorient our identity. Romans 5.2 Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Psalm 37.4, you want to see the destiny fulfilled, the inheritance of God? It says, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. They will see the promise fulfilled. They will gain dominion because they hoped in the Lord. Here's my favorite one, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. You know what being sober-minded is? It means being hunger, being thirsty, being alert, being awake, not being numbed, being sober-minded, ready, watching, waiting, looking, anticipating. And then it says this, set your hope fully, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Man, Jesus revealed himself. He showed up as a little baby. And then he died on a Roman cross. He lived a perfect life, died on a Roman cross, was buried in that tomb, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, came back at Pentecost, dwelt among his church. And he says to each one of us right now that if we need him, he will be there for us. He stands at the door and knocks. He says those who seek him will find him if they seek him with all of their heart. Set your hope fully on the glory to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What are you hoping for today? What are you looking for today? Christmas says this, God always shows up. He always shows up. He never fails. In the darkest hour, when he's been silent for 400 years, when Rome is oppressing, a little tiny baby will be born in a stable somewhere, and God will overturn all the tables, and he will bring about the fulfillment of the prophecies that were long forgotten by those who gave up hope. But God still shows up, and God still delivers. And if we want something to put our hopes on, then we get out our Bible and we read what he said and we pray and we listen to what he speaks to our heart. And then we say, I'm going to bet my entire life on what it is that he says. Because everything else, all my reasoning, reasoning and rationalizing that says, I could just satisfy myself this way or maybe I should hope this way or God won't actually show up that way or whatever. You know what? There was a whole nation of Israel who for 400 years had been trained to not hope in the Messiah. So much so that one of the righteous men of the earth couldn't believe it when the angels showed up. But we can trust and we can believe that his word will not return void. Because today we remember that a little baby was born and he pierced through the darkness and he brought light with him. And he chuckled. I believe that there's a chuckle in God's voice as he brings his child and he says, you thought I wasn't going to show up, didn't you? Check it out. This is my child in whom I am well pleased. We trust him. We hope in him. Jesus, he always shows up.
the hope of the nations. Let's pray. Man, God, I feel so convicted by your words. (laughs) How many times have I uh, allowed myself to be satisfied with lesser gods, paid regard to vain idols, forsaking the hope of steadfast love? How many times is your steadfast love enough for me, but I don't have eyes to see it because I'm like two fools on a road to Emmaus, you know, (laughs) who are walking with Jesus but can't see him? God, develop in us a growing sense of hunger and thirst like Anna and Simeon who wait day in and day out, who wait on the Lord, who wait on you, who hope for you, who anticipate you. We thank you and praise you that you always show up in the name of Jesus.